Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council, with your hosts, Steve Zylstra and Karen Nowitz. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. Arizona technology ecosystem can only become more vibrant by attracting and retaining diverse technology talent. In fact, by emphasizing diversity, equity, and inclusion, of course known as DEI, throughout their hiring process, Arizona businesses can solidify the state's role as a more innovative and vibrant economic powerhouse that sets a precedence regionally, nationally, and globally. And with that, welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, specifically AZ TechCast. I'm Karen Nowicki, president and owner of Phoenix Business Radio X, right here in Tempe, Arizona at the Max 6 Entrepreneur Center. And I'd like to welcome you to today's episode of AZ TechCast, sponsored by Arizona Technology Council. And while we're in the green room, if we can call it that, I forgot to mention today is the, drum roll please, 25th episode, which I'm so, thank you, Bianca. <laughs> I'm so excited. We've had 25 incredibly brilliant episodes of AZ TechCast so far. So we are thrilled to have the partnership uh, with Arizona Technology Council and our sponsors, which we'll have a chance to celebrate in just a bit. So please join me in giving a warm welcome to today's featured guest. We have Angela Huey back with us again. She got to be a guest with us not too long ago on Local First Arizona Good Business Show. Uh, and Angela Huey is the president of One Community. Welcome back, Angela. So happy to be here, and thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, to uh, be on this panel with these awesome, awesome, uh, just remarkable leaders in Arizona. Happy, happy to be a part of the conversation. Thank you for making time for us today, and with us as well as Bijou Menon. He's the CEO of Fair Hire. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, and it's a pleasure to be here. And where are you zooming in from today? Where Where do you reside? Well, I'm in Austin, Texas, at the moment. Uh, I'm. I'm Normally between London and Austin these days, um, and few other places, including Phoenix, Arizona, and so because we are growing globally, and um, that makes me have to be there in places uh, yes. to make sure uh, our business plan and stick to the to, to the timelines. Very good. Well, thank you for making time for us today as well. And Steve Tepper, he's the executive director of Arizona Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Likewise. And are you, so you're, are you here in Arizona as well then? Here in Phoenix, yes. Very good. All right. And Erica Young, Enterprise Solutions Architect for SHRM. Welcome. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, and I assume you're going to ask where I'm Can doing I? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I am just outside of Washington, D.C. in Alexandria, Virginia. I love it. Uh, you know, uh, with all of you being from so many different places, a lot of our shows for this particular podcast uh, are local folks, right? But I always love when we branch out besides our uh, outside of our state. Bianca, the other thing I failed to mention, and maybe Daryl told you, we got to meet with Yasna, uh, who we met at the AZ Tech Council when the Montenegro crew came through. And uh, she was a guest on our show yesterday, one of my shows. 
from the startup business flourish. And so it's so neat that these opportunities, when we can connect like this and have these candid, raw conversations about business and technology and really elevating communities, we had someone, you know, I said across the pond, but she's, you know, borders Italy, I think. So it was really fun to have her at 10 o'clock at night on a show with me. And so grateful the introduction that you provided us when I got to sit on that panel and invite those constituents from another country here. So I thought I'd that share. makes me so happy yeah. to hear. And I just think more and more you can't talk about Arizona without talking about it in the global context. So that makes me so thrilled to hear that. And I love that because that's really what AZ Tech Council and this particular podcast are all about, right? We're, we're doing everything we can to further our ecosystem here in Arizona. And it is a broader conversation. And, and I'm thrilled that we get to lead the way in a lot of uh, aspects with that. So today we're going to have a conversation with, of course, these accomplished, inclusive hiring leaders and Bianca Beluga, who is the Director of Marketing Communications that I've been referring to a handful of times with the Arizona Technology Council is my esteemed co-host. And we're very <laughs> excited to talk today with, uh, with you all and have our listeners be inspired around how to hire technology talent more intentionally and more inclusively. We have a lot of interesting content to cover, so we're going to go ahead and dive in. And I would love to start by asking each of you to briefly introduce yourselves and the role that your organization plays in Arizona Tech ecosystem and probably beyond, right? And Angela, if I could ask if you wouldn't mind starting first, and then we'll just let you each pop in. In fact, we probably should have said this ahead of time. Even though we're all on screens, rather than me being the gatekeeper and always say, hey, you're next or you're next, I would love for us to act as if we're you know, sharing a meal together and we're just chatting and there really isn't a gatekeeper. Of course, Bianca and I will ask questions and keep the conversation going, but feel free to jump in when you're inspired, you heard something, ask a question, play off of each other, uh, maybe share a story. We want this to be just a full conversation. So I'm, I'm hoping the only time I'll direct traffic is to say, Angela, could you introduce yourself first? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm Angela Huey. I'm the co-founder and president of One Community. We're a member-based organization of businesses and organizations that are moving diversity, inclusion, equality, and equity for all Arizonans forward. We're probably best known for our Unity Pledge. It's the largest equality pledge in the nation. We work with over 3,400 businesses that have a footprint in the state of Arizona that believe in an LGBTQ inclusive state. We know that when we treat all people fairly in the great state of Arizona, we are creating a sustainable uh, and really, really remarkable opportunity for all of us here in Arizona. So happy to be here. Well, um, let me uh, jump in. So my name is Biju Menon. Um, I'm the CEO of Fair Hire. And Fair Hire is an organization dedicated to removing bias from the recruitment process. So our vision is to level the playing field. And we work globally. And uh, we work with especially large and medium organizations and helping them create an inclusive recruitment process. So in Arizona, we specifically are excited to launching a campaign called, you know, working with Steve and Bianca, uh, which is called Inclusion AZ, wherein we bring in technology and we work with uh, University of Bacardi in Milan who bring in science and we work with Technology Council who bring in the policy aspect to it. And together with the three, three pillars, our goal is to make sure every member uh, in the Arizona ecosystem uh, get to have an inclusive um, recruitment process and methodologies and advice and processes. 
in the years to come. So we are quite excited about uh, that particular uh, program. So I'm here to talk a lot about uh, diversity and inclusion and what I have learned uh, in working with organizations across the world, the way they do it and the, the learnings and the mistakes and so on. So thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to dive in. Erica Young, again, with SHRM. Uh, SHRM stands for the Society for Human Resource Management. It was, it's a professional association founded 74 years ago, specifically for HR professionals. And the way we think about HR is really expanded nowadays, right? Like even just 10 years ago, we saw HR as like mostly payroll and benefits and like maybe a little bit of employee engagement or parties. And now today it's really exploded into this umbrella of anything people, talent, and culture in which, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging all fall under, upskilling falls under, right? Developing our people falls under, um, holistic employee engagement, so on and so forth. And so the way we look at um, what we do today is, one, supporting HR professionals with um, bringing in greater inclusive practices into their organizations. Um, And then two, Uh, also looking at the greater workplace. What are workplaces working on? What are they challenged by? And how can we develop solutions um, that are going to help those organizations holistically solve really large uh, challenges? And that's where my role comes into play. I partner specifically with our larger organizational uh, partners to um, develop holistic kind of solutions, uh, content, knowledge, et cetera, that's going to move the needle in their people practices. And I am uh, Steve. Our agency, the Arizona Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired, um, serves adults who through accident or injury lose their vision, up to including those who become deafblind, regain their independence, and return to work. And we have the state's only program that certifies desktop support technicians in A-plus programming. Um, for those who are blind, visually impaired, and those who are deafblind. We have uh, Dave Steinmetz, who has his show with us, Arizona Industries for the Blind, yes. And his show is Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time. So shout out to David Steinmetz. And he was David's, actually the one that recommended Steve I, I for had this a conversation. Hunch. <laughs> yes, I made that introduction, and I'm, I'm so pleased when I saw Steve, when I saw your name on the list, I thought, oh, I wonder if that's how it came to be. David is actually on our board. He's an amazing member of our community, and we are really grateful to be affiliated with him. He's amazing. Excellent. Well, I love all the introductions, and I greatly appreciate you being here. I have no doubt we're going to have a well-rounded conversation. And before we jump in, I would love for Bianca to have an opportunity to have our listeners get to know Arizona Technology Council a little better as well. Absolutely. Uh, I can't believe it's the 25th live episode. That's so exciting. Uh, But for those of you who aren't familiar with the council or who are just learning about it for the first time, the council is the leading trade association for science and technology companies in Arizona. We have about 750 technology companies who are members of the council, and they really do range in size from smaller early stage startups to larger corporations that are household names. We host about 150 virtual or in-person events annually, and we offer our members a variety of other resources to help them grow their capacity, and include that includes an association health care plan, a multiple employer 401k plan, discounted tuition for degree programs at certain in-state educational institutions, and a lot, a lot more. <laughs> we do also advocate for a tech-based 
pro-growth and business-focused agenda at the federal, state, and local levels. And I'm excited to share that we just actually released our 2021 annual report, which showcases our legislative wins and progress from the past year and how we support our member organizations. So if you ever want to get involved or learn more about the council, you can uh, visit us at aztechcouncil.org. Awesome. Thank you. And I always like to say that another one of our shows is from the foundation that Arizona Technology Council uh, created, which is STEM, uh, the STEM Institute, right? I don't know why, for some reason. <laughs> Thank you. All of a sudden, I knew that wasn't right. I combined their podcast name with the foundation name. So their their podcast and show that they've been doing with us for a couple of years is STEM Unplugged, and SciTech Institute is the name of the uh, in the foundation. I, it's Friday, right? Can I it's use Friday. that? Can I use we're, that? As we're doing excuse? our best, right? <laughs> so great. Let's jump into the conversation. And I feel like each of you, as you describe your role and the organization and the people that you serve. You talked a little bit about uh, your definition, I think, around inclusive hiring, but let's really, let's just have a conversation around how to define inclusive hiring. And again, I'm just going to open it up and let people jump in there. I'm happy to jump in. I think a lot about this. So in my role, one of the um, more fun, more challenging parts is advising larger organizations. So I specifically work with our like Fortune 1000 organizations globally on their people, talent, and culture strategies. Of course, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a major component. And of course, a subset of that is inclusive hiring and what that means for, for organizations. And the way I always like to describe it is um, the way we think about hiring right now is really about kind of weeding people out whether based on education um, or level or amount of experience or they don't have a certificate or what have you, right? We put all of these kind of qualifications that people need to have in order to kind of weed people out of a, a particular role. And I like to think about hiring as a weaving people in. And what that really means is kind of reconsidering what assumptions we're making when we hire people, right? I think that's one of the greatest challenges about hiring and more organizations are kind of being more intentional about the reflection process of their hiring. Like, do they really need a master's degree to do a role that might not require it, right? Like what about that master's degree really makes them the most qualified to do a specific role? Or, or another, you know, part of SHRM, one of our entities is a foundation focused on um underserved communities in the workforce as a whole. And these would be, I mean, you, you could go through a whole list of them, but some that are lesser talked about are people who have criminal backgrounds, right? We usually, like within the hiring process, a lot of organizations say, if you have a criminal background, I just don't want to deal with it, right? And that's not necessarily always the case. And so more progressive organizations are starting to ask themselves, like, get a little bit more in the weeds about what that um, really prevents them from doing. And also, is there experience in that criminal background that actually makes them really strong for the role? Um, we also, of course, talk about veterans, right? And so on and so forth. And um, neurodiverse people, it's a, a whole new section kind of coming up, right? Is And, and really thinking about those uh, pieces of people's identities, less so as a detractor and more so as what do they actually uniquely bring to our organization by having that kind of experience. And that's what, what I often think about, about weaving people in rather than weeding people out. Well said. It, to Erica's point, I'd love to add in that, you know, when you look at uh, Arizona, we are 
on track to be one of the first states that is truly a minority majority as well, right? So Maricopa County, five of our 15 counties are what are known as minority majorities and have been since 2008, meaning all of our diverse minority communities make up the majority of the constituency in the state of Arizona. And so when you're looking to hire, it's really important that you are plugged into all of our diverse um, communities to make sure that you really are attracting a diverse talent pipeline. And then I think a big part of inclusive hiring as well is inclusive policy. Uh, We do live in a state where, unfortunately, unless you're in one of the 10 municipalities that have an LGBTQ inclusive municipal ordinance, it is not unlawful to discriminate against a person in hiring, in housing, or in public accommodations if you're LGBTQ, right? And so we need to really encourage um, businesses of all shapes and sizes to really be very out about how inclusive they are in their policies and their practices and to support inclusive policy in the state of Arizona. It makes everyone in this great state better. If I'm going to add um, um, a bit on inclusivity, this is one topic that we involve in a lot. Um, I mean, five years back, I mean, I'll probably say 2014 onwards, um, diversity and inclusion has been the, one of the key agendas for HR. And prior to that, it is all about uh, people in the seats, or they call bounce in the seats. And that has changed mainly because of movements like Me Too and more more importantly, the awareness of the importance of diversity and inclusion and its impact on financial performance of the organization. So what has done is it has um, prompted HR to rethink or redefine the way they hire people. And that's not necessarily the process. It's about logistical aspect, you know, whether you have um, enough infrastructure to accommodate disabled uh, people to come and attend interviews. Um, do you have the right panels? If you need diverse panels to, to make sure there is no group individual biased uh, thinking that come in play. So it is about psychological and logistical and process uh, redefinition uh, to make sure every candidate gets equal opportunity. And this is when uh, inclusive hiring has become one of the key focus area for HR. And to me, the definition is holistic. And it's also important that these individuals who come in is provided with a much more inclusive environment to work in. Otherwise, you are letting in people to a to a uh, ecosystem where they are not going to be comfortable working and it beats a whole purpose. So I would imagine um, that doesn't start and, and end in hiring. It actually can spill over to, to the way you work with an organization as well. So that um, it, to me is, is, is how I would uh, define inclusive hiring. I think those are all some great definitions. Oh, Erica, go ahead. Sorry, I just want to follow up on that one point Bijou made there about like the focus on belonging in particular, right? Like a lot of organizations are putting a lot of emphasis on this like inclusive hiring piece first and then saying like, all right, then we'll figure out how to make everyone feel included and like they belong in the organization. But oftentimes we see it's best to start with belonging, right? It's best to start internally in the organization. How do you create structures processes, procedures? How do you revise organizational policy? How do you change, you know, the biases that actually exist within the organization before you start to invite or at the same time, because nothing's perfect, right? But like, essentially, if an organization is, does foster a sense of inclusion to the extent that people feel like they belong, 
the question around inclusive hiring becomes a lot easier, right? Because that belonging or air of belonging really feeds in to the hiring process in every way. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have people that really do feel like that, they will do their darndest to recruit other diverse folks into the organization from, from their own communities. And they'll say, we're not just putting on a face here. Like we actually are really diverse and we really do all feel like we belong to the extent that they can. Right. Um, and so I think that piece often gets missing in this conversation around inclusive hiring in particular is there's actually a ton of work internal to, to work on at least at the same time as the inclusive hiring piece as well. Yeah, it's a tapestry, right? It's a tapestry or a quilt versus separate yeah. framed photos that are just in the lobby, <laughs> right? It has to be uh-huh. interwoven and it has to be a living, breathing experience so that the culture, the comfort, the success, as well as the hiring process, all are singing from the same sheet of music. Love that. Yeah. Bianca, do you want to move us toward the next question? Sure. So I know it's about time for our first commercial, but before we do that, I wanted to plant the seed of the question that I want everyone to weigh in on next. So I think a lot of companies really have great intentions when it comes to inclusive hiring, but face a number of barriers or challenges or access to resources um, that allow them to bring that to life. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you all have seen organizations face in adopting some inclusive recruitment and perhaps retention practices as well? So sit on that as we go to our first break, (laughs) and then you can decide and fight to get to see who speaks first. Um, (laughs) With that, in just a moment, we're going to hear from Arizona Commerce Authority, who is AT excuse me, AZ TechCast 2022 Innovation Sponsor. The Arizona Commerce Authority is the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona economy. Let's give an opportunity uh, to hear from Arizona Commerce Authority and give them thanks for the opportunity to be with us. Our streamlined pro-business approach helps you achieve more by putting less between you and future success. Less red tape, lower taxes, Less distance separating you from the tech leaders of tomorrow. This innovative ecosystem will supply your business with tools and resources to compete in the 21st century and beyond. But your future is more than just business success. In Arizona, the lifestyle you want is at your fingertips. Explore cities known for their Southwest heritage and modern vision. Enjoy beautiful scenery and endless outdoor activities on land, water, or snow. And if you're looking for a little friendly competition, we've got plenty of teams to choose from. With constant sunshine, vibrant culture, and natural wonder, Arizona provides a style of living that's entirely unique. People from all over the world call our state home. From student leaders who fill the classrooms of our top-ranked universities to a skilled and abundant workforce that's ready for what's next. To the neighbors, friends, and peers we interact with daily, Arizonans are united by a pioneering spirit that moves us forward. So as you look to the future, know that it's filled with the perfect balance of innovation and high-quality living that makes life better here. Gosh, this hour just flies by. I'm telling you, every time I'm shocked by it. 
So going back to challenges that organizations face, and then perhaps what you have seen some businesses do to sort of overcome those challenges in attracting diverse talent. So first of all, a big a big shout out to Bianca, who was doing the head bob that I desperately wanted to do, but didn't want to look foolish during the music. <laughs> um, you know, we had a, a client yesterday go with their job coach to apply to a major national retailer. And they were told by the general manager partway through the application, we don't take those people here. And we talked to their EEO office. And really what he meant to say was, and it came out obviously terribly wrong. What he meant to say was, if you were disabled, you have to apply through the separate office. And we don't do that at the store level. That is humiliating. It's embarrassing. And it's an enormous barrier that while well-intentioned, the idea behind it, you know, when speaking to them is they want to make sure that those applications get treated differently and that the correct accommodations are made. But what you have done is you've humiliated someone to the point where not only do they not want to apply to your organization, Mm -hmm. they're questioning whether or not they should be applying to any organization. And I think with good intentions, I, I give that as an example of with good intentions, We do lots of things, but don't think through the end user, right? The end user is the person living with a disability or somebody else who needs that accommodation. We don't think about how that looks or how that plays itself out. Mm -hmm. And that plays out in a number of different ways in in the workplace across lots of different populations. Mm -hmm. Steve, can I jump in and ask you, what does the EEO acronym stand for for those who are unfamiliar? Equal Opportunity Office. So it was a division of their HR and they have a special website set up and a special email and a special phone number and you can't apply in the store. And it's it's a challenge. It was I, I talked to the head of their office yesterday and I understand where they were coming from, but it doesn't work itself out in practice. And so how do you make that work for all your applicants? And again, our population is one, but there are many who... who this affects them in some way, shape, or form. Can I pitch in quickly to address a few points on the challenges that companies face? Because we work uh, closely with companies, and so I'm afresh uh, with a few points. So one of the key challenges that I see is the know-how uh, to create an inclusive recruitment process. Um, companies, or especially these charge stakeholders, they lack understanding because of the lack of training and the time and so on, how to transform their recruitment process to make it more inclusive. That warrants them to engage with uh, consultancy houses, which is very expensive. And that brings in new problem, which is a financial problem. Do you have budget to put in place inclusive recruitment process? Mm -hmm. The other challenge that companies often face is a sponsorship. Okay, I have an appetite, you know, I think I can talk to to CFO, but then is there a sponsorship from the board level, CEO level? Is it the right priority to to work on at this point of time? And if these factors align, then it is all about, do, do we have access to innovative processes and technologies to make sure I can put in place an inclusive recruitment process at scale? You know, we don't want to do it for one role or two or a department or two, but we want to do it across organization. Then the other interesting uh, challenge that I saw companies go through is, yes, they might have done all these things, but then the managers are not ready 
to lead a diverse team, which comes with a bigger problem because then when the diverse community starts forming and the leadership fails in the middle management layer, so which means they need to go through a transformation program to empower managers to make sure that the people that come in feel rewarded, acknowledged, and so on. So I thought I'll share with these learnings that um, I have gained uh, over the last few years in terms of the challenges organizations face. You know, happy to to hear other uh, views that you may have as well. Yeah, I love the the highlight there on the uh, the people manager in particular. That's definitely something that our our organization has been focused on now for a couple of years. People managers are actually credited as one of the top reasons that people decide to leave organizations. It's one of the greatest predictors. And actually, in addition to that, the more people managers a person has in their time at a workplace, the more likely they're going to, the more likely they are to leave the organization. Um, so the greater there is a retention challenge. Lots of reasons for that. But Bijou, I think you hint on a really important reason, which is just that people managers are often ill-equipped to uh, to support a variety of different people. And one of those pin, like one of those reasons we've pinpointed is oftentimes a lack of empathy and understanding for the people on their team, um, which is another area that we're really focused on. At, and I'm sorry, this is my cat. This is her it. tail. So like <laughs> she says hi, her name's Suki. Um, but definitely the people manager piece, uh, one shameless plug. If you know any HR folks who need some training on overall diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, that's one of the things that we do and support in particular HR professionals with, but also people managers with. Um, but I also wanted to offer one other kind of key challenge that I'm starting to see a little bit more, especially with a tight labor market, and that is candidate sourcing. So it's not just like the, you know, once you have a candidate in, are your people properly evaluating those candidates um, in a in a just and non-biased way? But it's also, do you have diverse candidates who are applying at all? And a lot of organizations aren't. And one of the one of the things that organizations are really starting to rethink is what we call an employee value proposition an EVP, an employee value proposition is essentially, why would I work there? What is so valuable about working there that I should put in the effort to apply, right? And like, what's resonating with your brand, with me as a person? And this is an area that I think more organizations are moving toward is really getting specific about defining an uh, employee value proposition that hints on three main categories that we're seeing keep people uh, engaged in their workplaces, and that's purpose, pay, and people. Um, so do they feel like they can, do they feel like they're contributing to a greater purpose, right? Pay is pretty simple. Is compensa compensation uh, solid enough that I can live? And then um, I think people is also really important here. We know that as the population continues to diversify, it's not just important to diverse people to work with diverse people to to work with other diverse people right it's actually important for even those who are less diverse in the traditional means what right to also work with diverse people as we continue to see diversity in in the um kind of expand if you will uh across our population as a whole and so 
that's one area that I think more organizations are having to get crafty on is why are people going to work there and how do they attract the right people? And by right people, I mean, how do they attract a diverse group of people at the onset before they even get to the interviewing process? Yeah, Erica, to your point, this is such a fabulous conversation. I, I like, I really do think policy and where organizations stand on inclusive policy uh, is really important. I know it's, it's, I'm jumping ahead probably on questions, but like here we are in the great state of Arizona where we have, uh, you know, a bipartisan introduction for an LGBTQ statewide update, employment, housing, and public accommodations. And for the first time since this bill has been introduced in some shape or form for over a decade, it actually gets an educational hearing. So we take a step forward. We take a step forward as a state to become more inclusive and to value everyone, including LGBTQ Arizonans. But then literally a week later, our governor signs two really harmful anti-LGBTQ pieces of legislation. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we're at risk not just to losing really talented LGBTQ Arizonans. We're at risk to losing uh, an entire two entire generations, millennials and Gen Z, again, the most culturally diverse generations in America's history. They are the workforce and the leaders of today and tomorrow. Overwhelmingly, they are LGBTQ inclusive. Millennial, 20% of millennials identify as LGBTQ. Um, when you look at Gen Z, they look at their orientation and identity on, on more of an evolutionary scale. Half of Gen Z uh, identify as wholly heterosexual. That means the other half does not, right? And so we have a responsibility as a state to have inclusive policies. I would say businesses and organizations of all shapes and sizes also have a responsibility to be out on where they stand on inclusive policy. And we're living in a time where I had this conversation with a with a really large uh, you know, Fortune 100 partner of ours yesterday. And I said, if you're not saying something right now, you are definitely saying something, yeah. right? And exactly. so d- d- diverse, uh, talented professionals are not even going to consider you as a potential employer mm-hmm. if they don't know where you stand on inclusive policy. And so that is, uh, in my mind's eye, really authentic, inclusive uh, recruitment, right? Mm-hmm. Is be out. Let people know uh, where you stand on policies that are intended to do harm to diverse minority populations. Because mm-hmm. if you're not saying something, you are definitely signaling that you're not an inclusive company. And I think you're highlighting something so important, right? Like, which is, I think, something we were talking a little bit more about, but that is diversity as a business imperative. Yep. It is no longer an option for businesses if they want to stay alive. To your point, exactly, right? Like we know that the millennial Gen Z generation, not only are they becoming more diverse as a population generation by generation, but in addition to that, they're the generations that are actually pushing on companies and saying, your brand doesn't really represent my values and I can't spend my entire day or more, right? Like my eight plus hours a day, five days a week supporting something I can't believe in and I can't like give my all to. And now more companies are starting to, and I think really in the past two years, more companies were like, oh, this seems like an important thing to invest in. And we're seeing that on the HR side too. I mean, HR roles went up by 52% since the pandemic. And there's been a huge drastic spike 
specifically in DEI roles within organizations, because I think it's it's not only a cultural element that they're realizing that there was this moment, this click, right, which was DEI and belonging in particular is a business imperative. It is. We call it socially responsible business advocacy, right? And, and we've created our One Community Institute around LGBTQ inclusive DEI certification, right? Um, to really walk alongside businesses and organizations. And this is important to of all shapes and sizes, right? This isn't just a big business imperative. This is a micro business imperative. No matter what size your business or organization is, it's really important. Um, to your point, Erica, earlier, and then you keep pinging on that you create belonging within the culture of the community of, of the organization or business, and then it works its way outward, right? And so we walk alongside partners of all shapes and sizes with our one community institute, and we offer open institute trainings because we for for smaller businesses and smaller organizations too, because you shouldn't have to be a certain size, right? You shouldn't your team shouldn't have to be a certain size to have access to this really really um, important uh, training, right? To to really truly be authentically authentic authentically inclusive. So um, yeah, and the social responsible business advocacy piece is, it is a business imperative in particular with younger people. They want to know where you stand on, on issues of inclusion. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there, uh, I think I keep thinking about social media and the role that that plays in mm-hmm. encouraging in a positive way, encouraging us uh, to continue to bring these things to light and and fix it, right? Because we're so easily uh, get to have these conversations, sometimes good or bad, doesn't matter, but at least we can continue to have a voice when in the past, uh, sometimes uh, the bigger businesses has been the voice and the lead in that. So uh, let me uh, move to the next question if we can. Again, to Bianca's point, it goes so quickly and we have a lot of ground we want to cover. What is technology's role? and eliminating bias from the hiring process. Is there a place for behavioral science or artificial intelligence? Well, this is a topic that I can contribute a bit. So the choice of behavioral science and artificial intelligence is a very interesting one. As you probably have noticed, there is a recent legislation back in New York where they are limiting organizations from 2023 January onwards, the usage of artificial intelligence. And that is going to change the way technology is shifting when it comes to tackling biases. Uh, The argument is artificial intelligence can have biased um, outcome based on who developed it and certain other parameters which determines how the technology works. The sanity of data is very important and so on. So behavioral science to me uh, is well-placed to solve societal problems. And um, what does is we, we manifest the behavioral science to technology layer to help companies create an inclusive recruitment process. In terms of the role of technology, to me, uh, it is a, about scaling a process to a level that humanly it is not possible to do. So, yeah. for example, if organization would want to do an inclusive recruitment process, they they hire a small team, could be interns and so on, they black out the resume with names and genders and ethnicities and so on to make sure they can um, screen resumes, I mean, mm-hmm. resumes. but if an organization wants to do that across the board, then technology plays a role. So which also means that large organizations and media organizations, they really rely on technology to, to create that scalable process. The other aspect is sustainability. 
So, how, so it's like weight loss program. How can I create a program that is sustainable that you can continue uh, having a, a, a optimal weight? It is exactly the same way. How can you create a process that is sustainable over a period of time, not just for a month or two? And this is where technology add value. Mm-hmm. Other, other aspect that I've seen is bringing the power of possibilities. Technology opens up ways of doing things, right? I mean, years ago, there is no way to anonymize resume unless you, you black out with the black ink. Now, you know, technology innovations that like, like fair hire allows you to do that, you know, in a click of a button. So these three aspects is a game changer. And this is what technology plays a role. If you look into small organization and say like startups, Diversity is not their bigger problem. The bigger problem is creating a fabric. You know, that's why they always co-founders start with friends and so on. They don't face the problem of um, diversity because they're too early to think about diversity. But you look at medium-sized organization, a large-sized organization, typically HR function, they're like 7% of the whole organization on an average or 4 to 7%. And they are busy. They need to look after, as Erica mentioned, a number of things, like employee wellness, payrolls, and so on. On top of that, if they want to create a transformation program to introduce new methodologies like, like fair hiring, process, they just don't have time. And this is when time adds to the pressure. This is a bias creeps in. You know, the classical saying of you have seven seconds to sift through a resume and you're immediately looking into name education institutions or already made a decision because of preconceived notion. I'm safe to go ahead with this candidate because I know similar candidates have worked well in the past. So I'm not going to take risk because I don't have time to dive in more. Mm-hmm. Now that time pressure is where bias will come in. And what technology allows them to do is to make sure every employee in organization stick to a process where they can make sure fairness is achieved. That is gold dust for shareholders because for what shareholders worried about is return on investment. And they can't sit in every interview room and tell hiring managers what to do, what not to do. But okay. we're in a technology can come in play and ensure that this is this is made possible. So, so, so I mean, we can dive into detail a lot, but just to give a glimpse of the role technology can play and the level of organizations, the technology add values is that's also something that we need to take take, take um, uh, care of. Um, sorry, um, I just I, I have a lot of things to talk about. But just briefly some some pointers for for us to 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 brainstorm and and, and think think about. Hi. Okay. Love that. All of that. Um, so, so for context, I was part of our like Sherm Labs team, which looks at the exploration of work in technology to identify trends and see where there are places. That's actually how Bijou and I met. And I want to mention two really unique examples for, for pondering, for fodder, if you will, um, that I think are uh, really great examples of how technology can be used and can be used well. One, very simply, is a technology that identifies bias language in the performance review process. Reason being, this isn't so much on the inclusive hiring side, but it is on the inclusive promotion side. And we know from working with organizations that the higher you get in an organization closer to CEO, the more male it gets and the more white it gets. And there's a ton of data from a variety of sources that are are showing this across the board. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of those reasons is consistently um, BIPOC individuals and women um, and, and people who are diverse for a variety of reasons 
aren't often seen for their strengths. They're seen for the things that they lack in relation to the people manager. Um, and, and if the people manager isn't a value, so there are lots of issues here, but one of the things is a performance review usually isn't a good time to be evaluating a person's leadership style, but it happens. A performance review is supposed to say, did you meet your performance indicators, right? Did you accomplish that which we set out for you to accomplish, yes or no? What we see more often, though, are these kind of um, moments, and it's not that there's not opportunity for coaching, but we see more so they use this as a time to say your leadership style was a little bit off. Like you, you, you didn't exhibit great decision-making ability right there. It's a really good example of a male, female, or masculine, feminine kind of difference in leadership quality trait. Men really value quick decision-making. Women really value collaboration. And it's not that collaboration doesn't lead to decision-making. It's just that it involves more voices um, quick decision making is usually a one person kind of um, kind of decision, and so that's an area that's been shown where masculine, feminine um, kind of approaches are different, not better or worse, but different. And then the uh, so this technology identifies those biased language pieces that a manager might uh, include in evaluating their staff, which might prevent them from being able to move up in the organization, or it might be a data point that does lead to that. The other example I like to use is, um, around people managers, right? If you are, whether you have a team of two, um, that you're managing, or you have a team of a hundred, which happens, uh, it's still really hard to give different people the right amount of attention that they need in order to succeed. And so there are technologies that will, you know, track as simply as um, how much time am I giving the people that I'm managing? Am I inequitable? Am I giving one person like a lot of time and another person not a lot of time? And is that creating an unequal um, kind of system? Again, for them to be seen, which we know leads to promotions, the more you're seen, the more likely you are to get to a promotion. And does it also lead in, lead to an imbalance in leadership development, which also um, might end up preventing them from ascending throughout the organization? So there are some really interesting ways tech, and I loved Bijou, your organization I know is focused on the hiring side, but there's lots of interesting ways to bring in inclusive practices throughout the org. So I know we have one more sponsor that we're going to have to give a shout out to in just a second. I wanted to take a moment to share. Um, before working at the council, I worked for an ed tech startup that provided proctoring services. And I know that we really had to shift our product quite a bit to be inclusive, particularly uh, for folks of varying abilities. Um, and a large portion of folks who are using the product or who worked for the company um, were blind or had visual impairments. So I want to pull Steve into the conversation. Um, you can't really talk about including folks who are blind or visually impaired in, in the workforce without talking about the technological aids that help to make that possible. So Steve, um, can you talk a little bit about that or any um, work that you're seeing uh, the community and businesses do to take that technology to the next level? Sure. So our clients and, and two-thirds of our staff, by the way, are blind or visually impaired and another 15% are deaf or hard of hearing. Um, our clients live on assistive technology mm -hmm. and so do most of our staff. And without it, 
they really can't get by during the course of the day. So if you're asking, you know, our clients to come in and fill out a job application that is, you know, you have to write it in or isn't accessible to a screen reader, it's impossible to do so. So an example of that is when the vaccine first came out for COVID, our state was flying and they got this amazing online system up and running. But it was completely inaccessible to screen readers. And on top of it, the vaccine system that was set up, you needed to go in a car and wait in your car. Well, the ride system for people who are blind and visually impaired, there's no waiting. And they wouldn't see people who were walk-ins. So if you weren't in a vehicle, you didn't get to go. And so the system was set up in a way, much like many of the hiring systems are, for the majority and not for the minority. That applies to our clients, but it applies to lots of other people who are members of other groups. And so there are efforts from some employers to ensure that their systems are screen reader accessible. It is cheap. It is not time intensive at all. It is really easy to do. And it should be a standard, but it is not. I will also tell you, you know, we have this desktop support technician program. Our IT department is blind and visually impaired. So when I started, my computer needed a new hard drive and new RAM. I watched someone who was completely blind change that out in five minutes, having no visual cues, no ability. They put their cane in the corner of the room, changed it out, grabbed their cane, and walked out of my office. Our people have an advantage in this one way. Because they have been turned away from so many jobs, they are so incredibly hungry to succeed. And our goal is to help them get to the starting line, but it is an environment that is not welcoming to that. And our group is not the only group who that affects. It affects many other people living with other abilities and also members of other minorities. Amazing, Steve. Yeah, absolutely brilliant story. All of the examples that each of you have shared are so important for people to listen to, to just sit with, and and then, of course, take action. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, we are closing uh, in on the end of our hour together. We're going to take a break for our last uh, little sponsorship uh, announcement. Bianca, I'll let you kind of determine which questions we want to make sure we get in. I know each of you have had a chance to kind of consider where we'd go, so I'll leave that to our Arizona Technology uh, Council. I was going to say advocate. So with that in mind, 2022 Tech Advocate sponsor is JDH Insights. They are a leader in coaching and executive development. JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. And with that, let's hear from JDH Insights. Thank you, JDH Insights, for being our 2021 Tech Advocate sponsor. A leader in coaching and executive development, JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. Visit JDHinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. All right, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump in and ask that last question. Um, you know, I, we talked about a, a couple of different possibilities for questions that we wanted to close things out on, but I really think I want to spend some time painting the picture of what a more diverse workforce could lead to. So my question for you all is, what are the long-term benefits of building more diverse organizations? And do you have any case studies where over time you've been able to see some really exceptional results after some DEI initiatives have been implemented. 
So if I could jump in and it's it's not workforce related, but but it, it shows what happens when you start young. Mm-hmm. Way back when, um, when I had a full head of hair, I, I ran Arizona's largest fully inclusive summer camp for children living with developmental disabilities. And it had such a profound effect, not only on the children who are typically developing, mm-hmm. but on the families. And so I've kept in touch with a lot of those families over the years. And those kids are now adults and older than my kids and contributing in society. And it has changed the way that they hire. It has changed the way that they work with others. It is, I think, very much many of them describe it has changed the very essence of who they are. And so when we exclude others, we shrink our world. When we include others, we grow our world. And I think that that holds for all of us. And when you make a, a workforce, a society, a world that is more inclusive, I think we all grow and I think we all get better. And I know that there are lots of studies that show in terms of financial positive effects, et cetera. But I think we truly do become better people. I love that. And I'll keep this short. It reminds me so much of a quote I came across recently, which said, there is blindness and sameness. There is blindness and sameness. And I think that's totally true. Uh, To your point, I think that one of the greatest benefits that we're likely to see is an expansion of like how you described it, right? Ourselves. I think there's also an expansion for business. There is expansion for innovation and knowledge and change um, when more people are included and encouraged to contribute we can see more opportunity for growth and change. Well, the, um, the way I look into um, this particular question is, look, we can, we can come up with statistical facts on uh, the benefits from a longer term perspective. To me, it's much more philosophical question. Mm-hmm. Is it the right thing to do? You know, in a society where mm-hmm. we live, it is very important to, to collaborate and to be fair, you know, I, I'm a big, big believer of equality and diversity. And just like we talk about global warming, you know, there's the right thing to do to, to reduce carbon footprint and so on. If you're not looking into the, the, the numbers there, because we know that is the right thing to do. To me, this is exactly the same, you know, to create a diverse workforce and reflect the audience that we serve is the right thing to do, to have people in the society to work along with you and let them be part of it in the problem solving and discussions and so on is the right thing to do. And from that perspective, uh, the long-term benefits is a better society, you know, and that probably wouldn't translate in concrete numbers, so to speak. And um, I, I have a use case, but, you know, with, um, given the time constraint that I have, the one company that I admire uh, in the DNI space is Johnson and Johnson. I think they when they launched in 1896 or 1806, I'm not sure when that is. They had eight out of 14 employees were women, and from that point onwards, they have been incredibly diverse across the journey. Now their percentage of gender diversity is 51 to 48 or 52 to 48, and they have been market leader most of their lives, lifespan. You know, and that clearly says something. And so, so the, the statistics on the diversity, the impact is what we talk about is after 2014 slash 15. Mm-hmm. But we are now talking about an organization which is like 100 plus years old 
and always endeavors. And look at their market cap, 482 billion. You know, they're the next best player is like 200 odd billion. So the, the, the leading position in the market is so high. And that came in a, a, not a, by stroke of luck. It is purely because of the collaborative nature they have, and not just in one country, across the globe. So that to me is a fantastic use case to talk about. You know, I mean, if you look into their website, you can see a lot of statistics, which we feel very proud of the, the, the topic of the diversity inclusion. But to me, and not much talked about, but it's a fascinating organization to, to watch and, and follow. So that's the use case you know, that I would like to share. Angela, I want to make sure we hear from you as well. Well, I disagree I, with everyone. Um, and, you know, there are a number of studies that say when you're diverse and inclusive, your team is healthier. They bring their authentic selves to work. They bring their most creative ideas, all of which creates a more sustainable company and organization. And I think from a one community standpoint, we're like that that equates to policy as well, right? We because Arizona is not fully inclusive because we don't welcome everyone. We we are we have put ourselves at a competitive disadvantage um, in a in a global economy with a global talent pipeline. We have said because uh, we we have signed um, discriminatory policy into law that we don't welcome everyone. That if you're not a part of the majority. Um, then you are not necessarily welcome in this state when we're a minority majority, right? And so it is an imperative, I think, really, that we all work in a really collaborative way. And I really do want to give a shout out to Arizona Tech Council, too, because in 2014, when we had SB 1062, it was the leadership of Steven Zoustra, uh really leading um, the business community in coming out against what would have been an incredibly harmful bill had it had been passed. Uh, two years after we had 1062, the state of North Carolina had their version. It was called HB2. And in the state of North Carolina, they signed the bill and they kept it on the books uh, for a year. And it cost the state $3.5 billion worth of business. So there is plenty of use cases out there that when you have discriminatory practices and policies, you harm the betterment of everyone in your state. And I love this great state uh, and we want to be the most competitive state that we possibly can be. And the way to do that is to truly celebrate, respect and protect everyone that lives here and be open for business to everyone. That's how we do it. And then everybody wins. Right. And we make a better society. And it's even much more of a joy to be to be proud of the great state of Arizona. Voila. Uh, yeah, Bianca, feeling fantastic with our conversation. And of course, there's so much more to to consider. So I hope that we can have you all back again. Uh, Bianca, last, last thoughts before I close this out? I'm just so grateful. I think this conversation was so seamless. And I think you all had so many similar ideas, also different points that you highlighted that really made it all so cohesive. So I just, I couldn't be more grateful for everyone's time. Yes. Thank you so much again for all of our speakers and your expertise. Uh, as we had our 25th episode of AZ TechCast today. That's awesome. Thank you, Daryl, our producer. That was a fun surprise. And AZ mm -hmm. TechCast was brought to you by the Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. So thank you again to Arizona Commerce Authority. 
And we want to thank as well JDH Insights, which is the 2022 Tech Advocate Sponsor. Visit jdhinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. If you are interested in being a podcast participant or a sponsor for the Council's AZ TechCast, please contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org. You can put hello, Bianca, on there if you'd like. <laughs> and to learn more about opportunities to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thank you so much again for joining us for AZ TechCast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AZ TechCast with Arizona Technology Council, featuring leading tech and business experts that help influence and shape our great state and the industries they serve.